There's a word. There's a word you ain't heard in a long time. Zephyrs. Zephyrs. You know what a zephyr is? <laughs> you sang about it. <laughs> it's a wind, isn't it? It's a breeze. Isn't there a appliance named a zephyr? Was that a gas station? I don't know. Whatever. Okay, there you go. Oh, okay, well. That, yeah, that's, that, that's probably why I didn't have a clue about it. Thank you, Dad. Amen. Yes. Uh, and now into the next century. Yeah, exactly. Amen. First Samuel chapter 16 tonight. <clears throat> sure glad you came. I know this, that when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and I know there's a, there's a great deal of fear about standing before the Lord, and I think there should be, but uh, I know, I do know this, some of y'all that drive like an hour to get here, or close, well, the way some of you drive, it should take an hour, but it doesn't, amen? Um, well, maybe that will cancel out what I'm about ready to say. <laughs> but I think the Lord's going to be like, you drove that far to go to church? Amen. I think he'll lay it on you. I really do. You say you're just saying that. No, I mean it. I'm, I'm serious. I mean, can you imagine living one mile from the church and not going to church? You know, you ought to do things while you can, young people. Because there's coming a time and day where you're going to want to do things for the Lord and your body's going to be like, mm-mm, ain't happening. Do it while you can. Like I said, I'm glad you're here. I'm not here to beat you up. I want to help you out. First Samuel chapter 16, once you find that, we preached the first five verses last week, did the best we could, uh, preached about when everything falls apart. And I definitely know that's everybody can relate to things falling apart, amen? amen. And, uh, but uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, I'll begin reading here in verse 6, and of course we're going to jump right into the anointing of David the king. So I'll go ahead and begin reading here, 1 Samuel 16 verse 6, the Bible says, And it came to pass... When they were come, talking about uh, uh, Jesse's boys, that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, that's boy number two there, and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. And Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said, uh, said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him. For we will not sit down till he come hither. Isn't that great use of the Victorian English? Fetch him. Fetch him, the old southern saying there. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look on. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. All right, let's pray. Father, we sure love you and thank you for Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you, Lord, for Calvary. 
Thank you, Lord, for giving us the strength, the energy, and the wherewithal to even come to church tonight. Father, I pray that you bless those that could, that wanted to be here but couldn't. Father, I pray that you'd help us now as we do the best we can to preach. Father, I pray we put you in the place that you belong, the highest seat in the house. And Father, I pray that you'd teach us from your word and bless your word tonight, we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, here in the first five verses uh, of the chapter last week, we preached devotionally as well as historically. Uh, and, of course, to Samuel, it would seem, as I read it, it seemed like everything fell apart uh, for Samuel, uh, God's faithful prophet. But yet we found through the text last week, Samuel was found picking himself back up. And you know what? In the Christian life, a lot of times you just got to do that. You just got to pick yourself up with the Lord's help and just get back after it. Amen? And uh, life is going to give you some uh, terrible blows. And you know what? Uh, a great uh, passage of Scripture in the book of Ecclesiastes, I can't recall the reference, is, is this. Time and chance happeneth to them all. <laughs> and a lot of Christians, they're, uh, <clears throat> they're kind of screwy in their thinking that every time something bad happens that it must be the devil or it must be the Lord. He's upset with me. No, how about it's just, look, look your car had 80,000 miles on it before the last oil change. It was just out of oil, Right? And Christians have a really goofy way of thinking sometimes. It's almost like as the more history I read, everyone is superstitious. And let me tell you what, if, uh, if the Lord turns the devil loose on you, you're going to know it. But just because you had a flat tire doesn't mean that you and the Lord, you know, you're out of fellowship with him, all right? Uh, the Lord doesn't save you just so he can blow up your water heater later and go like that. But sometimes you just got to pick yourself back up and you got to get back into the daily routine. And you're going to miss some days. Amen? You're going to miss some days. You're not going to be, you know, you're not going to, you know, the Shekinah glory is not going to usher into your bedroom every day. You know, you're going to miss some days where you're just not as close to him that you think you should be. But uh, you got to learn to get back into it and get back up on your feet and go. And uh, why? Because our daily routine ought to be to please the Lord. It ought to be to please the Lord. And uh, that's why we're here. And with that, uh, we see here uh, throughout the chapter, here's a quick outlining of the chapter. Verses 1 to 5, we see the instructing of Samuel. The instructing of Samuel. Verses 6 to 13, you see the anointing of David. Verses 14 to 19, you see the troubling of Saul. And, of course, in verses 20 to 23, you see the early ministering of David. The early ministering of David. So we already preached on uh, the instructing of Samuel, how everything fell apart. I want to pick it up here. I want to preach about David's anointing and early ministering this, uh, this evening. David's, it's, it's, not a, it's, not a, you know, it's not a home run of a title, but it's just the Bible. Amen? And David's anointing, I want to preach about that and kind of preach through the text here. Uh, and I want you to notice about David's anointing. We just read it. First of all, in verse 1, uh, I want you to notice that David's anointing, it was ordered by the Lord. It was ordered by the Lord. In verse 1, uh, the Lord says, For I have provided me a king among his sons. It was the Lord's order. I, I want you to see that David, didn't he, didn't he wasn't seeking the throne. He wasn't seeking a position. And uh, God calls men, and he calls men to the ministry, and he calls men to minister, not just uh, to be a pastor or something. And a lot of times you get these, uh, I call them renegades out there, and they're just looking for a position. David wasn't looking for a position. 
You know what David was looking for? Uh, he was looking for food and water for the sheep. And uh, it was ordered by the Lord, number one. Number two, I want you to see here in verse four, uh, this uh, anointing of King David, it was officiated by Samuel. It was officiated by Samuel. And uh, verse four, the Bible says, and Samuel did that thing which the Lord spake. And if you want to make sure the Lord is pleased with you, just do what he asks. Remember, uh, remember growing up? <laughs> That's a dangerous question. Remember coming up as a youngster? If you had made mom and dad happy, life was golden. Amen? But if you knew that something wasn't right between you and, the, and your parents, it's like, oh, you know, it's like a drag. It's like, hey, how are you? Sorry, you know. But uh, the best thing you and I can do as Christians is just learn to please the Lord. Just listen to him. Just do what he says. Uh, you ever stop and think about, I don't know who your favorite sports team is, but uh, I don't know any sports team out there that uh, just calls their own plays and ignores the coach. Now, there might be some system uh, and some, you know, fellow's got some weird thing on his wrist and he's calling plays off that, but the coach has still instructed him what plays to play. You see what I mean? You say, what are you saying? What does that mean? I'm just here to say that the coach is usually smarter than you and me. Amen? <laughs> he kind of knows what's going on. He knows the lay of the land. He knows, uh, you know, when, when the changes need to be made on the front line. And it's just always best in life to listen to the coach. Uh, you might have a specialty and you might be real smart and uh, you might be skillful in a certain area, but the coach always knows more. And the coach always knows better. Amen? But it was officiated by Samuel, and Samuel just did the thing which the Lord spake of in verse 4. Remember, back in 1 Samuel chapter 2, Samuel would minister before the Lord. Samuel was the Lord's minister. You say the Lord needs ministers? He sure does. I'm looking at a room full of people that are the Lord's ministers. See, don't get that confused with someone gets in a pulpit and preach. Minister this and reverend that and pastor this. And Listen, we're all ministers of God. Amen? We're all to be doing what God wants us to do. But Samuel, he, in verse, uh, Samuel chapter 2, verse 18, he'd be the one who'd minister before the Lord. And then in chapter 2, verse 21, because he ministered, then he would be the one that would grow. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 2, 21, that Samuel grew before the Lord. Interesting. You want to grow in your Christian life? Learn to minister. Amen? You say, I don't know. I don't, you don't know the last time you grew as a Christian. Well, are you ministering to the Lord? Are you ministering to anybody at all, or are you just ministering unto yourself? See what I mean? There's a difference. You want to grow, learn to minister. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 26, you're just talking about Samuel. He's the one that's officiating the whole thing. But back in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 26, you see that because Samuel ministered and Samuel grew, because of that, Samuel was in favor with the Lord. And then uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 19, when you're in favor with the Lord, you see that the Lord was with Samuel. It's one thing to be in favor with the Lord, but it's another thing for the Lord to be with you. And I'll say that about preaching sometimes. There's, something, there, there's a difference between being saved and then the Lord being on you. Amen? You ever heard preaching that the uh, Lord was on it? I've heard some preaching, man, the Lord is on it, and the Lord is on the preacher like a fan. Then I've heard some preaching, probably done some of it myself, like, right there it went. <laughs> you know, okay, well, praise the Lord, put her in the books and go home. But uh, I want you to notice also, uh, uh, not only was the Lord with Samuel, but in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 20, just a couple side notes here about Samuel being the official of this thing. Samuel was established to be a prophet. 
I'm just giving you the evidence here, the bullet points here, and hopefully like a good uh, prosecuting attorney would do to let you know that Samuel is God's man. Samuel is God's man. Uh, he was established to be a prophet. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 21, we know this because the Lord revealed himself to Samuel. Let me ask you this. I'm not talking about by visions or voices or strange occurrences, but has the Lord ever revealed himself to you in, through this book? I mean, you ever got down in a, you, you, just beside your Bible reading and the Lord just made it really clear who he was to you in just a personal way that you can't really explain? He sure has to me. Now, I'm not talking about some supernatural thing, but I'm just talking about getting in that book and say, Lord, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave your book alone until you reveal yourself to me. And it might just be a verse, it might be a passage, it might be a phrase, and the Holy Spirit says, that's what you're looking for, boy, and there it is. And you see that the Lord, he had revealed himself to Samuel, 1 Samuel 3.21, and uh, down you see in 1 Samuel 7.15 that Samuel was Israel's judge all his life. You and I have a judge, it's not a man, it's a book. And that book is what we'll be judged by when we stand before the Lord. But see, the Old Testament was different. And what the Lord did is he used a man, God's man, to be a judge. And he judged Israel all his life. And uh, you see in 1 Samuel 10, 1, that Samuel is the one who anointed Saul, right? He anointed Saul. And then what happens in 1 Samuel 15? The Lord cans him. The Lord fires him. The Lord rejects Saul. Why? Because Saul rejected him. Aren't you glad it don't work that way this, <laughs> in this dispensation? Amen. Aren't you glad that the Lord doesn't give you one, two chances? Like, yeah, you're done. That'd be a dangerous thing. Why? We'd all sure as be in hell with the door shut. Probably today. But the Lord had anointed Saul, and uh, I'm sorry, Samuel anointed Saul, and then the Lord rejects Saul, and here we get back to where we were at, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, Saul, or Samuel, anoints David. The Bible said, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. You see that? Samuel's God's man. He officiates the entire process. You say, why'd you go through that length of thing just to show you that God's a God of order? God has a reason why he does the things the way he does. God doesn't operate willy-nilly. Is that that's too, not too old-timey, is it? God just doesn't go, there it is, you know. God doesn't shake up a bag of parts and throw them there. There you go. There's your order. God is a God of order. God does things through men. God has a plan and God has a purpose. And you see here, this whole thing is officiated by the prophet Samuel. It's important. Why? Because I'm going to tell you what. Wherever God's man is, I want to be behind him. You say you're pumping your... No, absolutely not. I know where God's man's at and I'm behind him 100%. And I'm telling you here that Samuel was the one officiating the whole thing. Let me give you number three here. Uh, David's anointing, not only was it uh, ordained by God, uh, not only did Samuel officiate it, but it's ordained by the King James Bible. I'll show you. Look at verse 11. The Bible says, Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. You see it right there? Say, no, I don't see nothing but a bunch of words. Amen? I know you'd say that, but you are in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 11. You say, what in the fire does that mean? When God wants to put a king on his throne in Jerusalem, he does it according to a King James Bible. And we're referring to the authorized version 1611. Amen? There's something to that. It's ordained by the King James Bible. 
Notice this number four. It was observed by his brethren in verse number 13. Bible says, And the Spirit of the Lord, uh, I'm sorry, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. Now here what you have is you begin a long list of types. Types. David is a type of Jesus Christ in so many ways through the Bible. And here begins uh, some of the list of the long many types of Christ that David was. Uh, some of, uh, here's the thing, it says, And anointed him in the midst of his brethren. You've got to realize back in verse 7 that some of his brethren had been refused. Can you imagine, can you, can you imagine being those brethren that were uh, not chosen? I don't know, maybe they behaved better. Maybe they had more uh, conduct, better conduct than Americans. Americans are spoiled, rotten brats that don't care about anything but themselves. Amen. I told my daughter tonight, I said, if, if I, amen, I said, if I had a substitute taught before I got married, we wouldn't have had kids, amen. <laughs> but uh, that is America, and that's exactly what's going on today. We're all about ourselves. But can you imagine being Eliab? Eliab stands up there. Probably looks like Charlton Heston, you know. Let my people go, you know, and all that stuff there. And, uh, and the Lord tells Samuel, no, don't even look at him. I refused him. Now, I didn't say he refused to the other, other six or, or five, right? But he refused Eliab. You ever wonder why he refused Eliab? I often thought until I get to the next chapter. And I'm like, I'd refuse that sucker too, amen. That guy's a jerk. Amen. I know how you read your Bible. That's how I read it. But some of them were refused, and yet not all of his brethren had been chosen, verse 7 through 9. So here lies the beginning of many types. And uh, so David's brethren observe his anointing just like Christ's brethren observe his anointing over in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. You remember the story, the narrative there? John's down there by the River Jordan baptizing people, and people are down there confessing their sins. And I've told this before and narrated before, and it's probably just a humming, man. All people tell, you know, I threw a rock at my neighbor and... And I, you know, I pushed over their cow in the middle of the night and all that. And they're confessing their sins to John and they're getting dipped in the water. And all of a sudden, here comes the Lord stepping down in the river in absolute silence. And ain't nobody saying nothing. Why? Because he was sinless. And uh, you know how the thing goes. And uh, John says, I need to be baptized of thee. And Jesus says, Suffer it not to be so, for thus fulfilleth all righteousness. And he baptized him. And when that happens, the Spirit of God descends like a dove upon him, and that's a picture of his anointing, anointing of his earthly ministry. So there's a great picture and type of Jesus Christ where David's a, he is anointed in the midst of his brethren, and that ties into number five here. David's anointing, it was overflowed by the Spirit, in verse 13. The Bible says, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward, from that day forward. And you see that phrase from that day forward, it shows you not only figuratively, but it shows you literally that David never lost the Spirit of God. And uh, where Saul does in verse 14, look at verse 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Now unless you're just a complete Bible uh, 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 rejecter, that says exactly what it says. Saul lost the Spirit of God in verse 14. This is Old Testament underneath the law, amen? And Samson lost the Spirit of God in Judges 16.20, but he got it back in verse 30. You say, what are you saying all that for? Because here's the thing, the fact that David never lost the Spirit of God was an exception made by Jehovah God himself. 
And it's called the sure mercies of David in Isaiah 55.3. That's an exception. Old Testament salvation, if you remember, it is, a, it is a system of faith and works. A system of faith and works. Let me tell you what, nothing, you don't ever have to worry about losing the Spirit of God. We say, well, how do you know? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30, for we are members of his, of his flesh and of his bones. I mean, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. Uh, you couldn't get out of Christ if you tried. You can get out of fellowship, but you can't get out of him. So here you see it was overflowed by the Spirit, and from that day forward shows you that David never lost the Spirit of God. And you know David was worried about it, because back over in Psalm chapter 51, what's he praying? Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. You've never prayed that prayer a day in your life. You know why? Because the Spirit bears itself witness in you that you are the sons of God. You never go, oh, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. David did why? He knew his Bible, <laughs> if I could say it like that. He knew the Scriptures. And Old Testament salvation under law is a system of faith and works. Faith and works. And there's not a man in the church age that ever has to worry about losing the Holy Spirit. Amen? Because the believer is part of... Christ's uh, flesh and part of his bones. I want you to see that as soon as David is anointed, you know what he's put in a position of? He's put in a position where he is to minister. Let me tell you this, God will never put his touch on anybody for their own personal honor and glory. I've seen too many people come to the church house in a period of 10 years here, and a number of them just wanted to run their mouth. I'm not trying to be cruel, I'm trying to be real with you. They wanted to go, oh, look at me. Look what the Lord has done with me. And yes, look what the Lord has done with us, that God would even use a pile of mud like us. Amen? But God never puts his touch on anybody for, his own, for that man or that woman's own personal honor or personal glory. When God puts his touch on you, then he puts you immediately puts you in a position in which you should be able to minister because you've been tried, tested, and true. And I want you to see this. God doesn't put his touch on a man for his own glory, honor, and benefit. And so David's ministering now begins publicly. David's minister be, ministering begins publicly with Saul's troubling. Notice that someone has to be in trouble for a man can minister. And I see it back to back in verse 13 and 14. I want you to notice uh, Saul's troubling is shown in this light. First of all, Saul's troubling, it was initiated when the Spirit of the Lord departed from him. Look at verse 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. That's a bad thing. I mean, trouble just began. Here, here's the practical application you can take away with it. If you're not filled with the Spirit, i got to ask you a question. What are you full of? You say, well, I'm not regularly filled with the Spirit. Okay, what are you full of? <laughs> Amen. We'll keep that pastoral and G-rated, but really, what are you full of? I mean, if you ain't filled with the Spirit of God, then what in the world is, is bouncing around? The truth of the matter is, is whatever is inside that mug that you carry around the house at 6 o'clock in the morning, if someone bumps you, whatever it's full of, it's coming out, ain't it? And whatever you're full of, when then someone bumps you, it's coming out. So if you're not filled with the Spirit of God, you are filled with something. Listen, nobody's walking around here just half filled. I mean, you're full. <laughs> you're full of it. <laughs> but what are you full of? Are you full of yourself? Are you full of, how about this? A lot of people are just filled with, I'm going to hit one right between my eyeballs, busyness. A lot of people, times we think we're spiritual because we're busy. No, I'm just a poor planner. <laughs> right? 
Some people are just too busy. But if you're not filled with the Spirit tonight, what are you filled with? But Saul's trouble, it was initiated. I'm telling you, you know you're headed for trouble if you're not filled with the Spirit. You don't lose the Spirit like the people in the Old Testament did. But if you're not filled with the Spirit, there's the tendency to be filled with things that we got no business being filled up with. Let me give you another one. Saul's trouble, it intensified when an evil spirit from the Lord came upon him. Verse 14. The Bible says an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Now that's a tough one to swallow, ain't it? Sometimes our picture, our thought process of God is some old grandfather in the sky and God would never do anything to us that would be terrible or considered evil. The Bible says he created evil. But here, I believe my Bible 100%. An evil spirit from the Lord came upon him. And you see a good picture of that, I believe, in the book of Kings there with Micaiah there. And what happens is when a man won't accept truth, God, uh, he allows evil spirits to go lie to a man and get him to go his merry way. If you won't take the truth, God will send a lying spirit your way, and you can just believe whatever you want. I'm telling you, the trouble initiates when the Spirit of the Lord departed from him, and his trouble intensified when the evil spirit from the Lord came upon him. Now notice this in verse 15. It was identified by Saul's servants. You say, yeah, so? Well, so uh, how about this? You might not be able to see the bad spirit you got, but people around you can. <laughs> Amen? You just think your wife's picking on you. No, she's just telling you the truth. Or your husband's telling you the truth, whichever one you want. Amen? Do people uh, like being around you at work? I'm not saying you've got to be everyone's best friend and bosom buddy. People like being around you. But say, no, they don't like to be around me because cause why? You got a bad spirit about you? Could be, maybe, I don't know. It was for Saul. I'm just showing you verse 15. The Bible says, And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God troubled. Pretty smart servants, aren't they? I mean, he probably ought to listen to them servants, wouldn't he? I notice this one, number four here. Saul's troubling here. Its remedy is incorporated through the right music. Its remedy is incorporated through the right music. We'll touch on that a little bit later, but verse 16, the Bible says, When the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. I just wanted to see you. David's ministering, early ministering, comes right on the hinges of Saul's troubling. And a man is uh, sent to minister once he's tested, and he's tried, and he's true, and he can only minister if a man's got trouble. And let me tell you what, in our day and age, we've got all kinds of trouble. So there's always a possibility, there's also a capability. If God can get a hold of some men and God can get a hold of some women's heart, that God will use you to minister to people because there's trouble everywhere. And here's the problem. why It's hard to get things done in the last day and age that you and I live because we, the latest in church people, the very sheep that God saved and redeemed his blood, we have so much trouble ourselves, it's hard to minister to anybody else. I recognize, I'm not shaming you, I'm not, is that the word shaming? That's, that's the word of the day, you know. You know, you're, you're fat shaming somebody, you're, whatever the word. I'm not shaming you, look, I got troubles, I got buckets full, man. Uh, if you need any extra, I got plenty for you. <laughs> Amen, but so, so many times we're unable to minister because we got so much trouble of our own. I want you to notice it was identified by Saul's servants, it was remedied, incorporated, uh, its remedy is incorporated through the rights, mu- right music I want to get into David's 
ministry, his early ministering here, David's early ministry. He's anointed to be, by God to be a minister unto him in verses 19 to 23. And the thing about David's ministry, like I said, it comes right on the hinges of Saul's trouble. Saul's trouble. We all got trouble, amen? But I want you to notice in verse 19 that the ministry required David to leave his comfort zone. There's really about five messages in this thing, but I'm not going to spend five weeks on one chapter. I could have, but I just felt it was good to get through as much as we could tonight. I want you to notice in verse 19, David's ministering, it required him to leave his comfort zone. You say, where was David's comfort zone? The sheep coat? The field? You realize, and not everyone's like this. I I know some people, and I'm not going to be that Bible believer bonehead that says nobody wants to do right and nobody wants to serve. Look, I know some Christians run from duty, but I don't believe that's who I'm preaching to here. Some Christians' comfort zone is in doing right. Some Christians' comfort zone is doing what you're told. Isn't that a blessing? I've learned over the years it's just better to do what you're told. Amen? Yes, dear. No, just kidding. I just, yes, Lord. Amen? <laughs> just do what you're told. I mean, it's just, it just a little happier life. That is a joke. But uh, some Christians, their comfort zone lies within their duties. And what happens is if you're not careful, when things change in your life, you'll think you're compromising because you're not doing as much as you used to do. Let me tell you what, that ain't true. Gain is not godliness. The more you do does not produce spirituality. And David's comfort zone was being on the backside of those Bethlehem hills feeding those sheep, watering them sheep, playing the harp, running off the bear, running off the lion. I bet you got pretty, pretty addicted to those sheep, amen? I don't know about you, but I'm thinking David, uh, looking over the uh, sheep there in, in the hillside, I'm thinking the first time he saw the bear, he probably almost had to go find a tree because his knees were trembling, amen? But after he had the victory and he killed that bear and then he killed that lion, I bet you stood over and looked over that flock of sheep and said, come on, come mess with me. That was his duty. And I bet you he enjoyed taking care of those sheep. Matter of fact, all the boys are at the house, right? There's a lion. There's Abinadab. There's Shama, Shama Lama, whatever, you know, whatever the third boy, boy's name is. And they're all at the house getting ready for the sacrifice, getting ready to eat, right? And where's David? He's out in the field. You say what he's doing? He's doing his duty. And that's his comfort zone. Would to God all of us Christians would have comfort of doing our duty for him, amen? And uh, David's comfort zone was doing his duty with the sheep there. <clears throat> and you know what happened? For David to minister any farther, when the Lord anointed him, he had to leave his comfort zone. He had to leave his comfort zone. David's comfort zone was taken away. And I want you to see that the Lord took David from feeding Jesse's sheep to a place where he'd eventually feed the Lord's sheep. To me, kind of hindsight makes kind of sense, doesn't it? If you're going uh, to get a man to take care of all we like sheep, well, you better get yourself a shepherd. Isn't he the man that, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, said, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not install Amazon. But uh, the ministry required David to leave his comfort zone. Notice here in verse 22, the ministry required David to stand. Verse 22, uh, Saul requests David to stand before him. He says that he stand before me. 
Now, you know the story here. David, he's already stood for the sheep, hasn't he? He's already stood for the sheep. He's already defeated the bear. Amen? I don't know if it's Chicago or not, but it was the bears. And, of course, the lions were an easy victory. No, just kidding. But he defeated the bear. He defeated, he's already stood. Amen? He's already taken care of the sheep. He's already had to stand. And, by the way, kind of interject this thought here. When you read your Bible, many times you're going to find passages that are chronologically out of order. What I'm about to tell you is that chapter 17 precedes chapter 16. And I'll have you read those, those passages later. I'm not going to break the whole thing down. Because at the end of chapter 16, you see that Saul loves David. At the end of chapter 17, Saul's going, who is this kid? Who is this kid? Who does this kid belong to? See, at the end of chapter 16, he's having a conversation with Jesse. You see what I mean? There's parts that are chronologically out of order. So he's already stood against the bear. He's already stood against the lion. He's already stood against Eliab, right? His cranky older brother. Is there not a cause? And Eliab says, listen here, you little jerk. I know he came down here. Get out of here. And David's like, is there not a cause? He's probably thinking, I whooped a bear, I whooped, I'll whoop you too. But he didn't say that, amen. He's already had to stand against physical elements. He's had to stand against nature. And he's had to stand against family. But now he has to stand before King Saul. I'm saying, I can give all that example just so when you begin to minister, it will require you to stand before other people. The Lord will test you in your personal habits. He'll test you in your personal relationship with the Lord. He'll test you at the workplace. And then he'll take away your comfort zone sometimes. Something that you come to depend on, whether it's a financial amount, whether it's a relationship, whatever it is. And he'll take that comfort zone away, and then he'll say, all right, it's time to stand. And you're like, Lord, but I've been standing. He's like, yeah, but now you're going to stand over here. And you're like, hmm. But if I stand over here, and you know what we think? If we don't always take the stand against the bear, if we're not always standing against the lion, if we're not always standing against our family, that is so ungodly, <laughs> right? Then we're not doing what we should be. And the Lord's like, relax. They're okay. I need you to stand over here now. And through the process of time, the ministry, if you're going to minister to God, he'll require you to adjust your stand. Something to consider tonight. Let me give you number three, David's ministering. This ministry required David to take up the armor for others. Look at in verse 21. You'll see here in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 21. The Bible says, And David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly. You see that? And he became his armor bearer. You see what I'm saying? Here Saul. He is, he is literally, and not in a fairy way, in love with David. He loves this boy. And then you get over into chapter 17, and he's asking Abner, who in, the, who in the fire is this kid? He knows exactly who it is. That tells me that this chapter 17 chronologically probably begins right about verse 14 of chapter 16. But uh, it requires you many times to put the armor on for others. You say, what does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what. David had already proved himself with a stone and a sling, hadn't he? He knew how to... He knew how to use that stone. He knew how to use that sling. And that's in chapter 17. David also proved himself with a sword. As a Christian, you know what I'd be concerned with? Have I proved myself with the sword that I got? You say, David didn't have no sword. That's right. That's why he went and took a Goliath sword and hacked his head off. Amen. 
That's a type and picture of the Word of God. You go against the Lord, and the Lord's got a David, and that stone's going to hit you in the head, the stone of Israel, and then that, the Word of God's going to take your head off. He'd already proven with the stone of sling. He'd already proven with the sword. And now David and his ministry had to take up the armor, and in doing so, protect others. Protect others. See, up to this point, David's just been protecting himself and his sheep. So you trust God, He protects you, and then in the process of time, the Lord will use you to help others by taking up the armor. Just a type here, let me give you number four. The early ministering of David produced a love and favor for the minister himself. It produced a love and favor for the minister himself. In verse 21, 21 says, And he loved him greatly. You think about Saul there, being in the predicament he's in. He's been dressed down by Samuel twice. He's been dressed down uh, chapter 13, and then he's been canned or fired in chapter 15. And he's had all kinds of trouble, and he's going to be on his way out for the next 20 years. But all of a sudden, here comes this clean boy named David, and he's a hero. He's taking care of the enemy of Israel, and Saul's like, oh, man, what a breath of fresh air. The Bible says he loved him, loved him. I just wonder, are you a breath of fresh air around people? <laughs> you get around people, they're like, oh, man, that's good to see them. Well, it's good to see you, man. You know, what's, I don't know how that saying goes. Everyone's like, a, everyone brings joy to the room. Some when they come, some when they leave. <laughs> but you bring a breath of fresh air. I mean, how about this? Do your neighbors love you? That's something we're thinking about, ain't it? Saul greatly loved David. It produced a love and it produced a favor. Verse 22, the Bible says, For he hath found favor in my sight. Now look, I understand what history brings. History brings about 20 years of hardship and terror for David. And a complete, uh, uh, King Saul eventually loses his mind completely. But when the Lord puts a touch on a man, he puts others around that man and he invokes a bond of love. Remember when Saul was anointed in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 26, the Bible says there was a band of men whose heart the Lord had touched. And I can't help but think when the Lord brought us here in 2014, like the merry band of men, you know. <laughs> we preached one message, and I preached about probably one of the dumbest messages I ever preached at that time, and it's called Troublemakers in the Church. And everybody went to the altar. <laughs> And I don't know if that was just uh, indicative of what was to come, but after that first uh, message, there was this small group of men, and they kind of huddled around me. And I took note of that thing. I said, how about that? And they're like, oh, we'd like you to be our pastor. We'd like you to be our pastor. And I'm thinking, y'all crazy, man. Y'all crazy. We want you to be our pastor. And you know what I knew about those men? I didn't care that their, women, the, their wives ran them, and they were gutless and spineless. Man, the Lord put a bond on those men, and they just kind of circled around me. And when you're going to minister for God, God will put people around you. He'll begin to put people around you that love you and that put you in their favor. But that thing takes time. But if you're going to minister, that thing will take time. In the process of time, God will begin to put people around you. And that was the early ministering of David. And so in this ministering unto the Lord, as David would now do, we see he had to leave his comfort zone. He had to stand for God in front of others. For before, he stood on his own in private. Number three, he had to take up the armor now for others. 
He had to see the love and favor that God produced in the heart of others. That's the ministry. And that's what happens when you allow yourself to be used for God. You'll follow the same path that David did. Now as we uh, come to the end of this chapter, I want to give you one more thing here. I want you to see this. In David's ministering, there is an element of music that cannot be overlooked. Cannot be overlooked. And I want to give you from the text today the characteristic of music that ministers. I told you there's about five messages in this one tonight. But here's just some great characteristics right from the text of music that ministers. The first one I want you to see in verse 17. It's played by a man that loves the Lord and is in fellowship with him. It's played by a man that loves the Lord and is in fellowship. Now listen, I know the Bible says the, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. You say, what does that mean? It means that God could gift you musically and you can be a dirty dog and you still be a Tchaikovsky that's famous the world renowned. You see what I mean? You take a man just as talented as Tchaikovsky was and he was a sodomite is what he was. But God didn't take it from him. The gifts of God and the, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. But the characteristic of music that ministers to the spirit of man is played by a man that loves the Lord. Verse 17 says, Provide me a man that can play well and bring him to me. Talking about David. In 1 Samuel 13, 14, we see that David is a man after God's own heart. I'll give you another one here. Characteristic of music that ministered, it is music that is played skillfully. Look at verse 18. Here's the servant. Servant says, I know a fellow, he is cunning in playing. Amen. You want to see music that ministers? It needs to be skillful music. Amen. If you have an ability to do something, you need to do it the best you can. It needs to be skillful. I'm not saying God won't use someone who's not skillful. But listen, if you're not going to take the time and practice and you're not going to take time and put it in, why would God minister through you? I'm saying that as if you did have the time to put into it, right? Music that ministers is played skillfully. Notice this one here in verse 23. If you want to characteristics of music that ministers, music that's played, number one, with the hands and specifically upon strings. I'm not saying if it's not strings, it's not going to minister. I'm just saying according to this text here, it is string music that produces uh, this effect. Verse 23, the Bible said, David took a harp and played with his hand. Like he didn't like play with his hand. He's playing the harp with his hand, you know what I mean? Like, oh, here, don't worry, you know. <laughs> it's music that's played with the hand, specifically upon strings. Now look at number four here. If you want to see music that ministers, what does it do in verse 23? It is music that refreshes the hearers. It's music that refreshes the hearers. Bible says that Saul was refreshed. You say, what does refresh mean? To cool. You ever listen to something that just cool you down a bit? You've been all fired up about something? I mean, if you're y'all fired up and you're fighting with your husband or your wife, you're not going to go listen to you know the Rocky Balboa theme song. You know, <laughs> dun, 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 dun. you know, you, you need something to cool you down. But the Bible says Saul was refreshed. It means to cool, to give new strength. You ever you ever been just weak and listening to some good music? It'll refresh you. It'll strengthen you. That word refresh means to give new strength, to revive, to cheer, or to enlighten. Played a dirty trick on a friend of mine. You say, what kind of friend are you? Well, probably not a very good one. He was in a really bad mood. He wanted to talk. He wanted to chew me out is what he wanted to do. So I was playing uh, Bach in the background. 
He's like, shut that off. I'm like, gotcha. <laughs> there you go, Saul. Anyways, but it's music that refreshes the hearer. Saul was refreshed. And one of the greatest things about music that uh, ministers is found in verse 23. It's music that drives away evil spirits. You see that? And the evil spirit was departed from him. Now listen, don't you know, don't you know that a lot of this jungle music and a lot of this ridiculous rock and roll and metal and rap and garbage is just absolutely full of the wrong spirits. And sometimes one of the best things you can do is put on some Bach or Beethoven. I don't care if he was an Austrian Catholic. Put in some Vivaldi or put in some... Uh, um, I'm drawing a blank. Usually I got about a dozen on the tip of my tongue here. Um, Scarlatti and a bunch of those uh, Handel and all the rest of those. But his music drives away evil spirits. And sometimes you just you uh, don't think that you got a lot on you, but you're going through this world and you're collecting all kinds of things. How about the thing you got in your in your pocket called a smartphone and uh, I know you don't do it intentionally, but you're connected to the world nonstop, and you just with one flip or one thumb, all of a sudden there's images in front of you that are just full of wickedness and evil spirits, and man, you can get rid of it. But I'm telling you what, once you got them windows open, sometimes the only remedy is to shut it off. You got to shut the windows down. I tell you what, Bill Gates is probably responsible for opening more windows to hell than anybody else ever alive. You got to shut them down. And sometimes the only thing that will help you is the right music that ministers. And of course, that's music that glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ and music that ministers to your spirit. You say, well, uh, what kind of music should I listen to? I'm trying to tell you some strings. You know, all this bebop and hip hop stuff, man, that stuff's crazy. Are full of evil spirits, but that's uh, in the anointing of David and his early ministry. This is something that you can't overlook. So, when you get to the opposite side of that thing, you get over in the book of Kings, around First Kings, what is it, 18 or 19? And you got the, and even as far back as Exodus 32, you got the Babylonian Beatles there and the rock concert there on the mount when Moses goes up there. And what are they doing? They're having a rock concert. And in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19, you know what accompanies that concert? Screaming and crying and cutting. Well, that's exactly what those old Roman Catholic uh, uh, monks were doing back there at the 1000 B.C. They were torturing themselves. Why? Guilt. But nothing like good music that ministers to drive away the evil spirits. And that's verse uh, found in verse number 23. So in this passage here, as we bring this thing to a close, that's David's anointing and David's early minister, in early ministering. I want you to see that that as soon as the Lord anoints David, he immediately he immediately gets to fighting giants, and he immediately is brought before other men to minister. And uh, it doesn't matter how young you are; you don't have to wait to a certain age. God, if you'll let Him, God will use you to minister. He'll use you right now. And he'll use you right where you're at, and he'll use you in your workplace, he'll use you in your family, and that's a, a man that's got God's touch on him. All right, that's what we have for tonight, so we'll pick up in First Samuel chapter 17 uh, next Wednesday.